0: Everybody wants what they want, right? You want what you want. I want what I want. We keep looking for what we want. And what, why we want what we want is because we believe that what we want will make us feel better. More, Most often we think, I got to get this because that's going to make me feel valuable, important, worthy, worthwhile. We then go get what we want and we find out often that what we want isn't what we really want. (laughs) We look for something that will fill us, and we don't find it. And that's a degree, to a degree, what Paul is looking at in this passage from Philippians chapter 2. First off, he tells us what we already have. And what we have is union with Christ. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion. And the word he uses, he could have used another word, which means if, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. But this word really means since. And the only reason you wouldn't have these things is if you don't truly have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. But when you do have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ, you have encouragement from being united with him. You have comfort from his love. You have sharing, common sharing in the Holy Spirit. You have tenderness and compassion. This is what Christ has accomplished for us. This is what we have. This is what we have received. And then Paul goes on to say how this was gained for us, how we have been given this gift, how the gift was made, how the gift was made available. And that is we find in verses 6 through 11, what is often thought to be an ancient hymn of the church, and it tells us what God did that we might receive this new identity, this fullness. And in this hymn, we see that Jesus Christ, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, I have studied this passage a lot. It was one of the passages that seminary professors love to have us look at in the Greek and in the English and parse it out and and see the the patterns in it and to, to understand the Greek language in it and understand what it truly means. And yet, as I was researching this time, I came across an idea that I think has some validity that I'd never come across before. It's attributed to N.T. Wright, but it's also been around for a while, and that idea is, from verse six, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, I've always seen that as Jesus Christ, who was equal with God, decided to empty himself, to become human. But what N.T. Wright says is, Jesus Christ, because he was in very nature God, emptied himself himself. Because. Because God is always reaching out. God is always reaching out to us to bring us to himself. It's God's nature to care about us, to sacrifice for us. So when we look at that, at this verse that way, it says Jesus, because he was in very nature God, gave up the position of power and authority at God's right hand to incarnate, in other words, to become human. A few weeks ago, I talked about the Trinity the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all living together in perfect harmony and perfect love. Uh, the word parakoresis was used by the early church, para meaning with and choresis, uh, the word from which we get dance or choreography. Uh, so the Trinity is always in motion, always dancing one with the other, a dance of perfect love, a dance of perfect acceptance, a dance of perfect unity. And I said that you can't truly uh, establish an image of the Trinity with that is static, that is still. The image of the Trinity always has motion because of that. And in this passage, we find that that image must always include outward motion because God is always reaching out, always reaching out to, in in the very beginning, to create God as perfect. Uh, Trinity did not need to create anything, but God, out of God's own character, reached out to create the beauty of this universe and the beauty that is you. And as God reaches out in Christ, God also pulls in. The point, the purpose of Christ's incarnation becoming human, human, reaching out to us, was to bring us toward himself. Now, a few weeks ago, also, I talked about Julia Sweeney, a comedian that I really appreciate, uh, but I'm saddened because she has left the Christian faith in part because she says she does not like the idea of God asking for praise and worship. She says he must be very small-minded. He must be very needy to want our praise. And uh, C.S. Lewis countered her argument years before she made it by saying God wants our praise because it is in praising God, it is in approaching God, it is in finding God that we find our true fulfillment. So our praise fills us. It is the purpose for which we were created. And God is not asking us to praise him out of any deficiency in God's self, but for our need to come to him, to find our meaning and our purpose in him. You ever notice when someone is proud, there's an elevated sense? We use words like uppity. We use words like, Oh, he thinks he's above everybody else. He looks down his nose at us. She's riding her high horse. We think of um, elevation in, in terms of what a person thinks of him or herself. And here, if you look at this beautiful hymn, from verses 6 through 11, you see that Jesus starts at a very high place. He starts as very nature God, equality with God is his. And what does he do? He empties himself, taking the very nature of a servant. He, become, he is made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself, even to the point of death on a cross. The model we have is not one of self-elevation, but of self-emptying. This is what Jesus did for us. And then the hymn, uh, the official term uh, for its structure is it's a chiasm, which means it's a V-shape. Jesus starts high, ends up low, to the point of death on a cross, and then Jesus was doing all of this, and then God takes over, and God exalts him to the highest place and gives him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's elevated probably higher than he was before, if that is possible. And the reason he would be higher than he was before is that he includes you now in the kingdom of heaven. He has come down to us to rescue us, to lift us up, and in so doing brings more into the glory of God, and we can then participate in the glory of God. How then should we respond to what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us to who we are in Christ. Well, we should live out this truth. Paul says it in verses 2 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Before that, be like-minded, have the same love. Be one in spirit and of one mind. Now, that does not mean that once you become a Christian, you are indoctrinated into Christian think, and there is only one way about everything that every Christian believes or every Christian thinks. But there is one idea, one truth that dominates all of our other thinking, and that truth, that idea is the glory of God and our, um, our position, uh, our inclusion in the kingdom of God, meaning that that is the primary identifier of who we are. That is the primary motivation of all that we do. So If we are like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind, that does not mean we're identical with every idea, but that we put the truth of God's kingdom over anything else. And that means that we will react to each other differently. If you have a different idea than I do, it doesn't mean I will naturally agree with you or you with me, but it means that we put the value of our relationship with God and therefore then our relationship with each other above our need to get our own way. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, selfish ambition, that's what got humanity into trouble in the first place. Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent to believe that they could elevate themselves. They could lift themselves up to a place closer to God. And that motivation almost always, if not always, leads to problems. Adam and Eve fell and took humanity with them when they tried to elevate themselves. Selfish ambition puts the self above others, puts the self above God. And you say, no, I don't think I'm more valuable or or better than God. But every time we make a decision that goes against God's will, aren't we in some way or another saying that? We understand better than God? What we're called to do is to find our humble place. Now, that's not easy to do because we all have within ourselves a desire for value, a desire for glory. God has placed it there. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says God has placed eternity in our hearts. There is something big inside of us, something big that we want that we don't have. And that's where vainglory comes in, or vain conceit in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vainglory is the more direct translation of the Greek, which doesn't carry as much uh, meaning for us in English, but it, it really the Greek word means empty glory. And what it's implying and saying about us is that we are empty of glory and we should not live out of that emptiness of glory. Uh, You've probably heard uh, it said by the philosophers of old that There is a God-shaped hole, a God-shaped vacuum inside of us that needs to be filled, and we try all kinds of things to fill it. We try elevating ourselves to fill it, to feel valuable, and none of these things work because the hole, the vacuum, is God-shaped. Not Corvette convertible shaped. Not mansion with a pool shaped. And not shaped like that person that you think will fulfill all your needs. And I prefer to think of this as a God-shaped hole because a God-shaped vacuum sounds um, more, I don't know, high high thinking or something. But when you think about a vacuum, oh, well, that's why. Because I think of a vacuum as the thing that you clean the floor with. So not high thinking, but manual labor. And I think, no, that that gets confusing, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe thinking of a vacuum that way actually helps us, because what does a vacuum do? It sucks. It sucks the dirt from the carpet. But we, when we are living out of this emptiness, can suck the life out of other people. We are so desperate to feel valuable, to feel fulfilled, that we are just... Pulling in, pulling in, pulling in. And look at how that is so different from the model we have here in Jesus Christ who reaches out and reaches out and reaches out. And he can do that because he is already full. And you now, if you are in Christ, can do that because in Christ you are full. The glory of God has poured into you. The love of God has poured into your heart that you live out of fullness, not out of emptiness. That is why Paul can say here, do not live out of selfish ambition or vain conceit because you don't need to. Because you have the encouragement that comes from being united with Christ, the comfort of his love, sharing in the spirit, tenderness, and compassion. You are filled so that you now can overflow with the love and grace of Christ. Unfortunately, humanity, because we are fallen, tends to seek self first. St. Augustine said we are curved in on ourselves, and if we Put that together with this emptiness inside. We're curved in on emptiness. And society today, many in society today say, don't worry about what other people think of you. Don't worry about anyone thinks of you. Think about how you think of you and make sure you value yourself. Well, that's just curving in on yourself. You can't really feel esteemed unless someone you esteemed esteems you. God esteems you. God values you. That is how you can feel full and know that you have value. C.S. Lewis said the worst possible hell is not necessarily fire, although that's an image that Scripture uses, but the image of being alone, ignored, empty. And that is our natural state until we become full When we receive the accomplished work of Jesus Christ for us. So as we live out this truth from a place of fullness, we will be known as those who care about others, who reach out in concern for others. Paul says, about Timothy in verse 20, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare because everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But what Paul tells us to do is look out for the interests of Jesus Christ, live a life that is a life of giving, of pouring out ourselves. And sadly, Christianity is known in our current day by those who demand their rights, those who demand that culture uh, comply with what they believe culture should be. This is not in any way reflective of the God who reaches out in love and concern. We live in a fallen world, in a fallen culture. We cannot fix it through legislating that people behave a certain way there are religions that have operated this way but it doesn't work because you cannot change a heart by telling it how to behave you change a heart by filling it and when we receive jesus christ our hearts are made full, and because they are full, we then reach out as he reached out, with love, with compassion, with self-giving, with self-sacrifice, not with self-promotion. And Paul says, look at Timothy, then you'll see one who gets this. And if you see someone whose Christianity is characterized primarily by self-promotion, They don't get it, and it's dangerous. So Paul ends um, this earlier section with verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, this does, is not trying to say, work out your salvation. In other words, work your way to heaven with fear and trembling. What, it's, what Paul is implying here is that you have salvation. He says, since you have these things, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, live this way. Live into your salvation. Live into the fullness that is yours in Christ. Now, I preach this a lot, and sometimes I end my sermon thinking, but I don't always live that way. I don't always find that fulfillment, that fullness in Christ. But that doesn't mean that I should therefore set it aside. What it means is that I know that that is where ultimate fulfillment lies. And any of those things that promise to bring fulfillment— I need to realize they won't and to not continue to seek after those things, not continue to try to fill myself with other things to make me feel valuable, but to more and more open myself to what Christ has already done for me. That is to work out my salvation. And as I do that, I will be more and more oriented to give to Not receive, but to give. And remember, verse 12 is not alone. It does not just say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to do, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Let God work. And may we, as individuals and as a church, wherever you are, reflect the self-giving heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.